Warning. Deep Fix contains adult content and language. So if you don't touch processed foods but eat gummy bears, this may not be for you. And now, Deep Fix. Hello, and welcome to Deep Fix, where we get a fix of all of our favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Jen B. And this season, we've been doing a deep dive into the epic Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three. And this episode, we're breaking down Roni's season two, episode nine, Wife in the Fast Lane. Now, let's get our fix. Well, the stars are aligned. Mercury must be in retrograde because we are in that rare period of time where there are three housewife shows airing on Bravo TV right now. So enjoy it all. I think right now we've got Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, OC, and New Jersey, which just recently premiered, which means those of us who are Real Housewives addicts are living the life right now. So enjoy it. And there's also some rumors swirling about the cast for next season of Roni and possible returns, maybe Jill Zarin, maybe some OGs. We're not sure, but we'll see what happens. I'm anxious to see who they decide to have return, although I still think it's pretty hard to top this original cast. And speaking of the original cast, I love these episodes because just when I'm starting to long for season three, I seriously can't wait till we get there. The Jill Bethany drama, the Kelly drama. Scary Island, of course, but then an episode like this comes along and it just reminds me how epic the entire first three seasons of the episode were. So just when I'm longing for the Scary Island episodes to jump to season three, we get season two, episode nine, Wife in the Fast Lane, which is just jam-packed and I love it. We've got Luann's book cover that we get a sneak peek of. We get a sneak peek of Bethany's book cover. We get Ramona's True Renewal launch, her skincare line. Then we get one of the most epic OG housewife scenes of all time, Kelly running in the street with the cabs. I mean, come on, you guys. Go to our TikTok page. We've put up the video. It's it's epic. It's classic housewives and really classic Kelly Ben Simone. And then not to be outdone by running in the streets with the taxis, we get Simon's limo freak out. So I was pleasantly surprised by this episode because, like I said, I was so excited to get to season three and we're getting so close. I can feel it. But this episode just reminded me it's not just season three. It really is everything that gets us there, too. So with that, let's get into a quick summary of the episode, because it's turtle time. We'll keep turtle time short this week so we can dive right into mentioning it all about this episode. There's just so much to cover. So as for Jill, we get a lot of Jill at Zarin Fabrics this episode in a very obvious attempt to show that she does work. In fact, she and Bobby throw a party at Zarin Fabrics where she and Mario and Ramona make amends, or so they think, over the tennis match. And then we also get to see a lot of the Jill that we've come to know and love as she heads to a meeting with a custom handbag designer for her birthday gift from Bobby, which she interestingly enough invites Kelly to attend. And we see Jill gets her home photographed for a traditional home magazine, which she's very excited about. And then finally, Bobby surprises her with a new car, which, of course, she finds stuff to bitch about. 
Now, as for Ramona, we get to see, as I said, she discusses with Jill and Mario the tennis match. And we also get to see Ramona and Mario talk to Simon about his outfit at the tennis match. It's hilarious. But then just like all the ladies, we're starting to see a more business side of Ramona as she's launching a skincare venture and getting that underway. We see she meets with a logo designer for the line, and then she has a few girlfriends over, including Bethany, to test um, some of the products, see her jewelry line, just try to get it out there. And as for Bethany, things are really happening for her. She goes to Jill's party at Zarin Fabrics, as do all the ladies, really. And we see she and Jill, they discuss Ramona, but also Bethany's new book that she's got coming out. We also see that nobody in Greenwich, Connecticut cares about Bethany Bakes in a really funny scene. But she's getting things rolling with her book. We see that she has her cover shoot. We follow her there. She looks really great. And then finally, she attends the party at Ramona's where she learns that she's the underdog. With Kelly, we get some classic Kelly this episode. She brings Max Maximiliano Palazzo to the Zarin Fabrics party where they go on to have a pillow fight. Fairy Kelly. And as we find out, she really likes to go running in the literal streets of New York City. Also classic Kelly. And then she heads to LA to meet with her jewelry line collaborator and we get some of the infamous owl jewelry. And then Kelly joins Jill on her birthday bag meeting, which again, just a note, it's that's an interesting pairing. More to come. As for Luann, she also attends Jill's party, and we get to see that her book, Class with the Countess, is in full swing as well. We see her meet with her co-writer and go over details of her book, and then also meet with her publisher to select the cover of her book. And then finally, as for Alex, like all the other ladies, she attends the Zarin Fabrics party with her husband, Simon. And then poor thing, we get the scene, another classic but not for good reasons scene. It's her birthday and Simon is surprising her. And at the end of the night, the driver takes a wrong turn and we get the epic Simon limo freakout. So with that, there is so much to cover in this episode. Let's dive right into mentioning it all. All right, let's get into our deep dive of the episode. This is another one of the episodes that open with Jill. And I couldn't help but feel right off the bat that this this whole little scene here seemed so similar to the Kelly damage control scene that we saw last episode. We open with Jill. We've got her confessional and she's telling us about working women in New York City and she's a businesswoman. Retail is in her blood. And of course, she's at Zarin Fabrics. And I say this seems so similar to the Kelly damage control uh, scene that we saw last episode, because this just feels so similar. Mario just got done giving it to her about the fact that really what she fills her days with are shopping, lunching, going on trips with Bobby. And Jill seems determined to control the narrative and act like she is a very hardworking woman at Zarin Fabrics. And I just think this really shows that Jill is starting to get the housewives game. And again, they're making it up as they go along. It's kind of being created as this ball is rolling. But Jill definitely wants to control it and she's really catching on. I was even starting to think in this moment, and I feel like I was confirmed later on in the episode, that she probably said something to Kelly like, look, you know, I'll set up a scene and make you look good to control the storyline after what happened with Bethany. And I think she would do something like that just to have some sort of control over the friendship. 
and the show, really, and just to kind of find a way to be useful, find that way to start not only being able to really just get other people in her pocket, but also to control the storylines of the show. And then we open up at the big Zarin Fabrics party. I couldn't help but remember Jill said something on a podcast about the first season or two. She spent a fortune. This was before, again, These this is the prototype for, for the housewives. There were not big budgets. The production wasn't paying for many of these trips or things that they were doing. They were just simply following these women around on their lives. So they had to bring something interesting to the table. And hence, Jill spent a fortune throwing all these parties, having interesting things for them to come film. I just couldn't help but think this is probably one of those times. Although, as she points out, there's an ulterior motive because it does get customers to the business as well. So there is an eco-friendly line of fabric that's coming out. They're using that as an excuse to have a launch party at Zarin Fabrics. And we see Jill. She's in this purple and brown dress. It's really one of the only kind of loud items that she wears when she gets a little too Liberace that I actually like. She looks really nice. And we hear her explain she's invited all of the housewives. So we see Bethany arrive. She's in a really cute, short black dress. Ramona's in a black dress, too, but has this great white coat that she's got over it. She looks real slick. So does Mario. Luann then arrives. She's, of course, wearing a brown suede jacket with fringe down the arms. Very Luann. And then we also see Alex and Simon arrive. She looks great. I believe she's wearing that black coat that we see her purchase in St. Bart's on that obnoxious shopping spree with she and Simon. What was it? Roberto Cavalli, I think, perhaps. And then I also noticed she's wearing that, I think, when she first meets Luann back in season one, when they have the little dinner meeting with Luann, Bethany, Jill, and Alex. So again, I always say they seem to spend a bunch of money on this crap, but she at least wears it. So then we see Jill approach Mario and she goes, oh, hey, Mario, this is where I work. And she puts it in quotation marks and they kind of joke things. They seem a bit lighter than they were when we left them at the tennis match. But of course, in Jill's confessional, she says Mario, because of course, it's not Mario, it's Mario. Mario is like a dog with a bone. He had to bring up the tennis again. Jill is just to their face seems like it's okay, But of course, in her confessional, she's bitching. And although Mario is really never calm, he seems like he's a bit more calm. And I have to give it to him. He hits Jill with a couple of really good points. He simply reiterates that, look, I invited you. And if you want to set up a game, go for it. But he would never set her up with a loser. He was going to make sure that she had a good time. And he really wishes that she would have trusted him. And what is Jill's response? Typical narcissist response. Well, then, you know, you should have invited me and then who I wanted to bring. It's like she just constantly excuses her own behavior and makes up the most absurd excuses. What does Bethany say? Get over yourself. But it looks like Jill's finally like, okay, okay, no problem. I should have trusted you. But of course, in her confessional, she says, Mario's ego is so big, I just said okay to appease him. And then we get a really funny scene with Mario, Simon, and Ramona, where Mario is telling Simon that he was surprised at tennis because, you know, he's always dressed to the nines, very dapper. But at tennis, he looked like he was going to seventh grade gym class. And Mario wants to know where was the designer tennis outfit. And you can tell Ramona is just so annoyed to even be talking to them. And so she chimes in with that she's surprised he didn't just buy something new. And Simon explains that he actually did just buy that outfit earlier that day. But Ramona can't let it go. She's got to give him a snappy response. So she says, oh, you bought that that day? Really? Now I'm really disappointed in you. And we see in her confessional, she says Simon's outfit was really annoying. And in fact, everything about Simon annoys her. 
which it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. And then we get a great Bethany confessional where she explains that yet again, Jill and Bobby are having another party. And of course, she'll go to any party that they have, which is a time consuming task because they throw a lot of parties. And again, it's just it's Bethany's worst confessional look. It's that purple bustier with the jacket and the Luann statement necklace. We go over it in the last episode. Feel free to listen to it. It's just hideous. But we see Bethany telling Jill and Bobby about Ramona's rules. Remember those ones that she wrote for Cosmo magazine and that she has a whole new set of rules. So she starts leading into them. Number one, she says, no textual relationships, which I thought that's funny. It's a play on no sexual relationship, a textual relationship. And she's like, look, you can only text me if you're at like a high end store and you need to know what color I care about. But We're not carrying on via text. And I love that she says that because look at what's going on today with people and their relationships, even with just their friends. No one even speaks to each other. It's all via text and on the computer, on the phone, on social media. So I love that she's picking up this really early on. Remember, this is only 2009. And I agree with you, Bethany. Her number two rule is treat my vagina like a vase. And if you have sex with me, it's time to send flowers. And you can tell Bobby's a little bit embarrassed by this. But of course, Jill's like, don't you love that line? And Bobby starts to kind of pull away and says, oh, we got to go on the road with this routine. And he just kind of starts to slink off. And it was the first time I noticed Bobby's reaction to Bethany being a little cold. And again, I said it last episode, and I think we really see it this episode, that the cracks between Bethany and Jill's relationship are really starting to show before we even know it. In Bethany's confessional, she says, look, it's no offense to Ramona's rules, but it's time to revise these from when she was like in a Baywatch red thong bathing suit, a chignon, and was tanner than George Hamilton. And then there's just this little snippet of a scene of Bethany speaking with Jill, which I thought was very interesting. We don't get the full thought. You can tell it's cut. But Bethany explains that Ramona's a little upset because she told her about the book. And I just thought it was interesting. Bethany is starting to pick up on people getting a little upset at her success and also just a little behind the scenes. And then, of course, fashionably late, Kelly arrives with Maximiliano Palazzo. Kelly's got a 60s outfit on that has really given me like Austin Power vibes. She's got this 60s print dress with a white furry coat, tights and purple suede boots. And I've never noticed this before, but as she walks in with her, hi, hi, she looks at the guys who are taking names at the door very quickly and says, hi, I'm Kelly, and just keeps walking as if she really is like a Madonna, like a one named person. I'm sorry, but if she walked in and there's a guest list and said, hi, I'm Kelly and walked by, these people have no idea who she is. It was so pretentious. But again, she lives in that world. And the fact that we learn just in a little bit that she also worked at Elle Accessories, it starts to paint a very clear picture of the world that Kelly tries to mimic. So she walks in with Max and we get a great Bethany soundbite. She says, and then I hear that chirp of hi, hi, cute, hi. So Kelly has arrived. It's so good. It's so classic. Bethany truly is one of the best housewives. And then we see Brad. He's there, Jill's gay husband. He says he's never seen Kelly with a man, which I thought was interesting. But he explains that Max just rocks his world. He is so hot. He's sexy. He is going on and on and like drooling over Max. It is really quite obnoxious. And then Max is introduced to Jill and Bobby. Max explains that he's from Argentina. Brad continues to drool all over him. 
And then Jill out of nowhere, who's just meeting him for the first time, asks, so are you guys like friends or are you friends with benefits? And Kelly's totally shocked. She's like, Jill. And I really feel like this is Jill starting to crumble. She she thinks that she can be like Bethany, maybe even replace her on the show. So she's trying to do what she thinks it is that Bethany does and that what the audience will like being a bit shocking and maybe snarky. But of course, she's not Bethany. She can't pull it off. And she doesn't get that what the audience really is attracted to and really vibes with is just being authentic. And it's okay that you're not funny. You're not the funny one. That's Bethany. You're kind of the pretentious Long Island money spending party hopper. And that's okay. But you've got to be authentic. And right now, I really felt like she's trying to be like Bethany. And then we see another scene with Bobby apologizing to Max because Brad, as he explains, must have been sipping the honey wine. Jill's like, what's going on? And Kelly and Bobby kind of say, oh, Brad's getting a little excited by Max. And production just, of course, it's great. So they cut then to Brad telling Alex about him. He's going on and on. And then Jill tells Max, oh, God, he's he's like an old gay. He's just like horny. And I'm sorry, it's totally embarrassing. And then we cut back to Brad. He's going on and on again about Max. But he does say, I'm not as gorgeous as Kelly. So there's no competition. But in Jill's confessional, we can see that she's quite annoyed. And she says that whenever they go out and Brad drinks too much, he is out of control. He completely changes and he goes like freaking crazy. And it's probably a bit true because he is. He just won't stop. It's like, let it go. You're embarrassing yourself. You're probably embarrassing this poor guy. Just stop. So then we see Brad come over to Jill, Max and Kelly. And Jill asks Brad if he's recovered. And Brad, of course, he then still goes on and on and like, oh, they just don't make him this cute. And Jill whispers to him, look, I think he's straight. And Brad then says, well, that's okay. I'll be straight, too. We can be straight together. And I got to say, it's a pretty good line from a guy I generally find annoying. But then we see Kelly, you know, oh, poor Max. She's talking to Max. Oh, are you okay? You're making all the guys and girls swoon. And then we get another Kelly confessional. And it's a new look. It's very 90s glamour, Cindy Crawford, Claudia Schiffer hair. I liked it. But we get another interesting Kelly quote where she explains that she's spontaneous and Max is spontaneous. So when they get together, they're like firecrackers. And I couldn't help but think, God, the lights are on, but no one's home. And I have to say, with these little quick confessional clips of these crazy sentences that make absolutely no sense, I couldn't help but think that the producers are starting to drop some hints for us as to the insanity that is Kelly Kalor and Ben Simone. I mean, they're shady. We know they are. But then we see Kelly and Max, they are down a pillow aisle. I mean, it seems private. It seems like no one can see them. But then they're having a pillow fight in this really nice store, probably with expensive pillows. And according to Jill's confessional, she was a little shocked, clearly annoyed. And as she explains, she wouldn't expect that behavior from kids, let alone Kelly. And then we see Jill do that face. If you know, you know. It's that fake smile through like gritted teeth and then like judgy eyes, to use a housewife term. It's classic Jill. And the scene ends at the Zarin Fabrics party with Brad endlessly flirting with poor Max. So then we cut to Ramona. She's at her Upper East Side condo and she's greeting some women into her home. And it's for her True Renewal skincare line. They are logo designers and she's meeting with them. And we see her confessional. She explains she looks great for her age and she does. Again, She's in her 50s here, and she looks like she's in her 30s. She looks fantastic, and she really should have run with this concept. She explains that she hired these ladies for help with her logo, and she definitely tells them what she thinks of their mock-ups. They present a bunch of different options, and she she doesn't hold back. She gives them the honest truth. And although you could probably say Ramona's a bit harsh in her delivery, 
I kind of liked this because it dealt with her business and she seemed like a businesswoman and she was clear and she told him exactly what she wanted and what she didn't want. What more could you want in business? And we see in her confessional, she explains that she wasn't thrilled with any particular product that's out there for skincare. So she worked with a fabulous chemist and they came up with True Renewal. And she goes on and on about how she's been doing her work for 20 years, but she's putting her energy into things that she's now passionate about, which these two things she loves, jewelry and skincare. And then we get an epic Ramona line where she's going on explaining that she's really busy, busier than we know. She's nonstop crazy. And to tell you the truth, if she really sits and thinks about it, she could have a breakdown. Now, this little clip is so hilarious. I literally went back and watched it like four times and I laughed out loud literally each time I watched it because it's just too good. In fact, it's so good I had to record the clip and put it on our TikTok page. So go there too and check it out. It's so funny. And then next up is Bethany. She's with her new assistant, Molly, in Greenwich, Connecticut, and she's setting up a Bethany Bakes little stand for a new store, an A&P chain that's opening up. And as usual, she provides us some great comic relief. It's a pretty funny scene. She says that she's charged thousands of dollars for appearances and usually has at least like a few hundred people showing up. And this time it's straight up crickets. And the scene goes on and she's offering free samples to people. Nobody will even take it. They're not interested. An old lady stops and asks her where rotisserie chickens are located. And I love it because she Bethany goes with it. She's like, oh, she kind of looks down and says, oh, I think it's probably down by the meat and poultry. And as she walks away, she says, of course, I'll be wrong. And now everyone in Connecticut will hate me. And it's so funny because as I was sitting there watching it and just starting to think, this seems like something that a PR person who really doesn't get what she's trying to do would think is a good idea for her. It's like, okay, go be like Martha Stewart, as opposed to understanding she's something unique and different. So they're pushing her out into Martha Stewart country in Greenwich, Connecticut. And then I feel like Bethany really proved my point because all of a sudden she says, look, they would get Martha Stewart. They don't get me. They just don't get what I'm about. And then it's really funny. We see some clips. This guy walks up. He's in a muscle shirt, really buff, clearly works out every day. She's giving him samples and says, here, take another. You can eat it at the gym tomorrow because we all know you're going to be at the gym tomorrow. It's so good. And we end with Bethany saying, Jesus, I could hear a muffin drop in here. Classic Bethany. And now we open up with Luann. We're at her Upper East Side townhouse. And she explains in her confessional that she's been a countess for a while. But now that she's become a bit of a public figure, a lot of young girls have been writing into her with questions about manners and etiquette. And I don't mean to burst Luann's bubble, but I highly doubt a ton of young women were writing and asking about manners and etiquette after the first season. To me, just like how that Greenwich, Connecticut thing with Bethany Bakes seems like something that someone in corporate who has no idea what's really going on would make up this idea and think it's great. This concept seems like a book editor or the you know uh, publishing company's idea. Like, let's say you're making the manners and etiquette book because there's a ton of questions about manners and etiquette. It's like, okay. And so Luann has her co-writer come over, Diane Reverend. And as we're introduced to Diane, we get another name flash explaining who Diane is. And I couldn't help but think, man, the companies involved in this book were really going for it and probably had a deal with Bravo about who got to be highlighted and how many times. Because if you recall those involved with her book, get a flash of their name at the page six party. Now we get this with the co-writer and then we're about to see one with the publisher. 
And as I was watching Luann, she's talking to her co-writer. The co-writer is asking, you know, how many kisses do you like to give on which side of the cheek, blah, 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 getting some information, digging in. And I couldn't help but think this is why Bethany's book becomes a success and why I don't think Luann's was even near what Bethany's did was because it has to be authentic. You need to write it from a place yourself. Not saying you can't have a co-writer, but if all they're doing is asking you questions and then putting it in their voice, it really isn't anything different, special, unique, just like what Bethany was doing. It was different. We hadn't seen it. But we do see Luann. She's she's giving some good ideas. She talks about other chapters in the book. And so it's not to say that she's totally uninvolved, but it just seemed very different than the way Bethany would have handled something like this. And then next we're on to Kelly. We learned that for a time she worked at Elle Accessories. And so I think this whole jewelry thing must have seemed like a good fit for her. But I couldn't help but go back and think of The Devil Wears Prada, the book and the movie about Vogue and all of that stuff that went on, because I'm sure Elle, it's not Vogue. Sorry, Ms. Wintour. I'm not trying to say it's the same, but it's definitely that same universe and it's very similar. And Kelly's behavior, especially when I saw her walk into the party and say, hi, I'm Kelly, to the people taking names and just walk by. The whole thing just seemed very much that whole bullshit industry. But as Kelly explains, she's in Los Angeles to meet with her friend Pascal. She's just signed a jewelry deal with uh, Pascal Moab. And we're about to be introduced to the infamous owl jewelry. And just as a side note about jewelry, in 2015, Kelly had about $50,000 worth of Hermes, Cartier, jewelry, scarves stolen out of her Escalade while she was on a business trip in Martha's Vineyard. And as I always say, Roni seasons one through three was the prototype for all the other housewives that came after. And they were the first to do many of things that we now just know as housewife tropes. And even with this, in this string of Kyle Richards, Dorit Kemsley, all these housewives who seems to have their house broken into and jewelry stolen. Well, just so you know, in 2015, Kelly was the first victim, housewife victim, that is, of jewelry theft. So Kelly then explains that her jewelry line started with the owl and we see the owl pendant. It's that same owl that she's wearing on her T-shirt where she's running in the streets with the taxi cabs. And an interesting note about the owl, Kelly was sued right after this, I think in 2009, 2010, about the owl from a gal that she used to work at with Elle Accessories, who said that this was their idea together. And mind you, it wasn't to design the owl. It's not the design of the owl that the gal was suing Kelly over, because apparently this was an old vintage piece of jewelry that was the inspiration. But her former co-worker said they had some sort of oral agreement to replicate it and sell it. I don't really think she would have had a leg to stand on. Good for you. If you had a contract in writing, I might have something to say about it. But but I do still think it stopped Kelly's jewelry line in its tracks. And we get a Kelly on the spot confessional, bring back the on the spot confessionals, where she explains that Pascal Mouad has Heidi Klum, the Gastineau ladies, Nicole Ritchie. And as Kelly explains, he's a jewelry maverick. And we see Kelly sitting with him and she's going, oh, yeah, they were thinking about a photo shoot like Charlie and his angels with me, Nicole, Heidi. She really has a way of making herself feel very important and somehow weasels her way into being important. And as she explains to Pascal, she's creating this line not to just get into jewelry, but she's creating this line because she saw a void, which I don't really know what the void was. I wish she could have elaborated on that. Is there a void of like owl stuff of... Nice jewelry at a good price point. I'm not quite sure what the void is, but apparently she saw a void and she's trying to fill it. 
And then in her confessional, she goes on to list a bunch of celebrities that wear her jewelry. But with this line, she wants a great price point, something that everyone can afford so that anyone can be a part of what they aspire to be. Please. It's so pretentious. But then we get to see some samples of her jewelry in this meeting. And I have to say they all looked great. Nothing, nothing was bad. It was good style. I probably would have worn some of it. And as we end the scene, we hear Kelly say that she hopes that 20-somethings to 40-somethings will be wearing this stuff like crazy. So then we go back with Jill. And again, she's at Zarin Fabrics. She's really pushing this working woman shtick. And we see her. She meets with some customers. She helps them find drapes. Ginger, of course, is running around the store like a freaking maniac. I can't even believe she would bring her with her. She's probably shitting all over the place. Again, if you're going to call yourself a businesswoman, I can't imagine you would think showing up to the store and letting your devil dog run around would be something that's good for the business, but I digress. And it's really just kind of a nothing scene other than, I think, again, Jill trying to run damage control over Mario saying that she really does nothing but lunch, shop, and go on trips with Bobby. And then we get the epic Kelly running scene. And it really is just like a small little scene that they put in between commercial breaks. But it was so crazy. Again, I think production had to play it to show us what the hell is going on. Kelly is running on the streets of New York City and not like running on the sidewalk streets like normal human beings would do. Oh, no, she's running in the midst of traffic, almost getting run over by taxi cabs. And I'm sure driving them insane. She's going on and on in her voiceover explaining that she loves the freedom. It's one of the things she loves about New York City. Again, it's up on our TikTok. You've got to watch it because it's just, it really sets the tone for who Kelly Ben Simone is. And again, I think the producers are dropping hints to us that she's batshit crazy. Just me, but I really do think they are. And when we open back up, we hear Jill explaining that she is going to pick out her birthday gift from Bobby. And oddly enough, she invited Kelly to go pick it out with her. And Jill says in her confessional that despite what Bethany said about Kelly, she's really been nothing but nice. And I couldn't help but notice this. It stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, what the hell is Jill doing? She's literally helping Kelly recover her image and also trying to make herself the queen bee. It's really crazy. I, If I were Bethany, I would be pissed after everything that Kelly has done, telling her that she's up here and Bethany's down here, acting like a complete pretentious snob. Everyone confirms it. And now her best friend Jill is going on a damage control tour with Kelly and even worse, really kind of trying to talk a little bit of smack about Bethany. It ain't right. So Jill and Kelly arrive for Jill's custom bag meeting, and Kelly has brought her daughters, who are once again forced to be in matching outfits. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, she's got some weird thing about the kids matching, and most parents will do that with their kids sometimes, but I mean obsessively where when they're not matching, go back to previous episodes, she forces them to put on other clothes to force them to match. It's a bit cuckoo. But anyway, Kelly and Jill and the kids go up to meet with custom bag designer Beatrice Amblard. And I didn't know it at the time, but Beatrice Amblard is a freaking big deal. She worked with Hermes for years, so much so that she was sent as the Hermes ambassador to open their San Francisco boutique in the 80s. And then later on, she launched her own line called April in Paris. She is a highly sought after, world-renowned leather worker, bag maker, Again, I knew these bags were expensive when I was watching it at the time because we get a price flash, of course, but I had no idea how big of a deal this lady was. And it kind of makes a bit more sense as to why she would want to bring Kelly to impress her too. 
So here we get a confessional from Kelly where she explains that she used to work at L Accessories. And like I said, things start to make a little bit more sense about who she is and how she behaves. And as she explains it, because she worked there, she had the privilege of seeing the most beautiful jewelry in the world. And as they're sitting with Beatrice, we're looking at some of the colors and uh, some storyboards, and she's got some sample bags. And Kelly puts her daughter C on the spot because some of the stuff is written down in French, as Beatrice is French. And she asks C, can you read any of this? And forces her to kind of read. And who knows what happened to make this occur, but her other daughter, Teddy, grabs one of the, the the kind of the garment bags, the bags that your bag comes in. It's usually like those felt nice bags to protect the purse. Teddy then puts her head in the bag and she's kind of hiding. And I feel if you remember a couple of episodes back where I talked about when Jill went to introduce herself and she used her dog Fluffy as kind of a barrier to not have to talk. I think poor Teddy just doesn't want to be on camera. Her mom's freaking batshit crazy. God knows what else she's dealing with. And she doesn't want to be there. And she's being shy, which is totally normal. Of course, Kelly is mortified that her daughter's sitting there with a bag in her head. And she does kind of handle it in in an adult-like way. She finally kind of wrangles it off of her and says, if I brought someone to see your bags and they sat there with the bag over their head, wouldn't you be embarrassed? To which Jill responds that Kelly really needs to give Alex lessons because Alex's kids would be off the wall. And I thought this was just another example of Jill running damage control for Kelly, kissing her ass, trying to set a narrative. I feel like they're already in cahoots and how she could do that to Bethany is beyond me. And so then Kelly goes on to explain that, look, when her kids like someone, she automatically likes them. Which again, yeah, kids are young and not really great judges of character all the time. Sometimes they're the best judges of character, but just these blanket statements from Kelly. It's like, all right, Kelly. And so they're looking through samples and looking at purses. And Jill wants Kelly's advice on which bag she should get, what color. And then we get, as I mentioned, a price flash because, man, do they love to do this in the beginning seasons. And we get a price flash of brown crocodile bag, $16,000. And they're actually showing a price tag on the bag. And it does say $16,000. And I remember when I was watching it in 2009, watching it live, I was like, what the hell? $16,000 for a friggin' purse? You got to be kidding me. But now knowing that Beatrice is a famous Hermes bag designer, it all starts to make sense. But even Kelly, who lives a pretty privileged life, is like, whoa, Jill was going to drop $16,000 on a bag? Like, good for her. And she tells Jill, you are so spoiled. And of course, Jill responds with, well, we're actually going smaller this year because last year was big jewelry. She just she loves to show off and it does get a bit much. And then we get a confessional, though, of Jill saying that, you know, in this economy, she just thought it would be in bad taste to like be spending crazy. Because remember, this is 2009. And for those of you who aren't old enough to remember, in 2008, we had the financial crisis, which was in full effect at this point and ended up leading to the Great Recession. And so Jill says, you know, she didn't want to spend a fortune. However, she didn't have a bee bag and Bobby said he would buy her a bee bag. So glad she didn't spend a fortune as she's spending $16,000 on a purse. And then we cut to Luann. She is getting some more book stuff out of the way. She is at Gotham Books, her publisher. She's meeting with the team, going over some mock-ups for the cover, going over some marketing and press ideas. And as I said, another person gets their name flashed. It's William Schinker, the publisher, who is like the top dog over there. So I guess he's worthy of a name drop. But they go over the cover. She gives him a couple of uh, color options. She chooses the fuchsia, which I think was better than the puke yellow color that they had there. And Luann explains that they used a Ford modeling agency photo that she had done. 
which is a great photo. She's, I mean, let's give, you can say what you want about Luann, but let's be real. She's beautiful. And as they flash the storyboards, we get the first look at her book cover. And they sit around the table with the other publishers. They're talking about her story. And as one of the ladies says, yeah, it's really a fairy tale story, which we don't know it at this point, but it's really not for Luann. And Luann's response is so telling. She says, oh, it was definitely a dream. A dream come true, she kind of covers for what she had just said. And I just thought, oh, foreshadowing of things to come for her marriage. And we end with them joking about, let's call Oprah, let's do it. And her publisher says, pop open some champagne and cheers, nothing like some champagne in the afternoon. So from there, we go back to Jill's condo where Ginger, her little frickin' terror dog, has pooped on the floor minutes before the traditional home magazine photographers are coming over because they are shooting Jill's condo after she's just renovated it. And here, Jill has her hair in a French twist. And the moment I saw her when it originally aired and every time I see this episode afterwards, I just I hate the look. It, it just it looks too uptight. Again, it's like, did she let Brad do this? It, it just it doesn't look right. I feel like she was trying to match the title traditional home and she just ended up. Nah, it wasn't good. So we see all of the magazine folks enter the apartment and Jenny Bradley is there. She's a design and lifestyle editor and she's interviewing Jill, who is, of course, talking about herself, talking about Zarin Fabrics and giving her content for the article. And as Jill explains, she believes that every seven years you need to freshen up your apartment. And I've said this before, especially being the owners of Zarin Fabrics, she really should have ran with that one. It could have been her shtick. It could have brought in Zarin Fabrics and the business. It should have been the thing that she went for, right? Bethany's doing Skinny Girl. Ramona's doing True Renewal. She really should have been pushing the Zarin Fabrics angle. I liked the every seven years thing. And as they're going through the apartment, giving them the tour, you see Brad, who just he's becoming more obnoxious every time I see him. He points to one very small little thing. It's on the couch behind a pillow. And he goes, see, see, look at your daughter. Look what your daughter did right in front of everyone. And she's like, why did you have to point that out? You're an idiot. She says it right in front of everybody. And we see in her confessional, she says Brad can drive her up the wall, but he did a great job on her apartment. She's very happy. You know, Zarin Fabrics did a great job. And then we get this scene again. I really think this is a great example of Jill trying to be like Bethany, either thinking that she could carry the show and push Bethany out, or this is how she thinks she's going to get the type of attention that Bethany's getting. And so she asks them, do you have a PP? As they're saying when they came here, do you have a PP? And she means a private plane. And they say, oh, oh, yeah, we do. And she goes, oh, that's just one of my jokes that I do with my girlfriends. She's trying to be Bethany. Oh, does he have a big PP? Oh, it's just something funny I do with my friends. And then Jill, her confessional says, she says, that's just who Jill Zarin is. I'm funny. And it's like, no, no, Jill, that's not who you are. That's who Bethany is. You're the pretentious shopping maniac, right? That's that's who you are. But even Jill has some second thoughts about her hair because the scene ends with her saying, should I not have worn my hair up as she's looking at some of the photos? And we end with Brad saying, oh, I actually think you look better out of focus. Ouch. So then we cut to Ramona's condo. Bethany is there with a few of Ramona's friends, and she wants to show them her jewelry line and her skincare line. And it's not a huge group. There really seems to only be about, I'd say, less than 10 people there. But Ramona is letting them put on a little bit of the skincare. She's got all of her jewelry lined out. And the ladies are looking through. And Bethany points out to Ramona, 
okay, so your skincare line is True Renewal, T-R-U, but then this, your jewelry line, is True Faith, which is T-R-U-E. And Bethany gives her to me what I thought is really awesome marketing and business advice. And Ramona is just too, I don't know, her ego is too big to let her absorb this and take it in. Because Bethany goes on to explain to her, you you can't do this. You can't be marketing under all of these different brands. You need to have everything under one brand. If you want it to be true, it needs to be TRU for everything. And Ramona kind of slips up. She goes, oh, I don't think the TRUE was available. And that's why I did it. And then she quickly changes. No, no, I didn't like it. That's why I did it that way. It's like, oh, please, Ramona. And we see Bethany's confessional. She says, look, I have built a brand from rubble. And I'm not saying I'm an expert, but everything has to be under the same logo. It's just not going to work. And she also explains that Ramona, however, is not good at taking advice. Just as I said, Ramona really could have benefited from that had she been open, open to hearing it. So then we see the ladies, they're checking out Ramona's jewelry, which is really pretty. One of them is a heart pendant on a necklace. Bethany points out that she loves hearts, and then she quips as if I had one, which I love. And then we see Ramona's friends talking with Bethany. They're being really nice. They're like, my God, you must have guys barking up your tree. They must love you. And Bethany's like, my God, Ramona, I love this party. This is like the build Bethany's ego party. Can we can we do this more often? Your friends are so nice. And Ramona looks at Bethany and says, that's because my friends build you up, Bethany, not like Jill who tears you down. And we get Bethany's confessional where she explains that there always has to be a Jill Ramona dig. And so this was it. And Bethany explains, no, Jill is happy for me. She really does build me up. She does. She helps me win business. And then we get another epic Roni moment, which I didn't even mention this earlier. There's so much that goes on. I forgot about it. But Ramona turns around and looks at Bethany and says, that's because she likes the underdog. You're struggling. You need help. She likes that. And Bethany says, no, she's really my biggest cheerleader. And we cut to her confessional where she says, you know, this jab that she tried to take at Jill actually ended up being a jab at me. And Bethany seems a little pissed about the comment, which I thought was really strange because let's be honest, Ramona is right. And Bethany's marketing herself as such. And I think she's maybe a little overly sensitive here because she didn't mean the underdog like you're some loser who can't get a date. I think Ramona just meant simply how it is. She didn't really have a lot of money. She didn't have a boyfriend. She didn't have a husband. Her brand, as she said, she's building it from rubble. All of these women are married, have a ton of money, or are married to rich men. And Bethany is the underdog in that way. She's trying to fight to get herself out there to make herself a living. And it just seemed a little strange to me that Bethany was upset by that. It's almost like it hit too close to home. Because that is, Bethany was the underdog of all of these ladies. At least it appeared that way on the surface, right? And so Bethany goes on in her confessional and she's like, I didn't know I was the homely girl who like couldn't get a date and everyone's crying for me. (laughs) It's like, again, I don't think that's what Ramona was saying, but it hit a little too close to home for Bethany. And then we get another classic Bethany line. She says, look, I'm not staying mad at Ramona. If I stayed mad at Ramona for everything she did, I'd be in a constant state of Ramona madness. So good. So we're back to the party. We see Ramona. She's letting all the ladies try the skincare. They're putting it on. And then Mario arrives home from work. We get a great Donald Trump reference. And then we end with Mario making a very smart comment to all the ladies that he doesn't see a single wrinkle in the whole place. Very well done. So then we cut to Bethany. It's her photo shoot for the cover of her book, Naturally Thin. She's totally excited. And of course, the full title of her book is Naturally Thin, Unleash Your Skinny Girl and Free Yourself from a Lifetime of Dieting. 
And I will say, you know, I went out and bought this book. I was a Bethany fan from the beginning. I didn't read it, if I'm going to be honest, but I really wanted to support everything that she was doing, and I couldn't wait to go out and get the book. I still have my copy, first edition. I'll take a photo of it and put it on the gram. And Bethany's publishers get their own name flash. We've got Zach Shishkel, senior editor at Simon & Schuster, and Bethany explains that they really took a chance on her because there is a space between Rachel Ray and Martha Stewart that needs to be filled, and everyone can access health. So Bethany arrives, she's getting ready, going through hair and makeup. She's talking with her publisher about some of the final tweaks they need to do. We see Bethany as she's sitting in the makeup chair, asks her publisher, is 20,000 words a lot to cut out? Like, what what am I looking at here? And she explains in her confessional that her book's supposed to be like in the 200s of pages. But right now it was over 300 pages, which is absurd for a diet book, because as she says, this isn't war and peace. So her first look, she comes out in a little black dress, which we'll actually see later when she has a sit down with Kelly. I'm wondering if it was the same day, but she looks great. It really is a very good look. And she goes on in her confessional to explain that she is not a conventional chef. She's not French trained. She doesn't have the perfect knife skills, but she went to a school for food and hilly and she loves it. But she had never had any idea that this would be her career. And as she puts it, this is a complete hobby move. So then we see another look in a red dress. She looks great. She's ha- They're clearly in some sort of New York City loft having the photo shoot. It, it looks fantastic, although as we see, that's not where they ended up going for the cover of her book. They wanted to go, I'm sure, with something more accessible. So the final picture is just her in jeans, heels, and a t-shirt, not this really fabulous black cocktail dress or red cocktail dress. But that's what we see in terms of the photo shoot. And I love it because we get another confessional with Bethany and about really just how excited she is. And she says that she will die when Naturally Thin is on the bookshelves. And she's going to be that person who like drives to every store and fixes any ones that have fallen down and makes it look all nice. It's just fun to see it. She's being authentic. She's coming up and she's not afraid to show a little bit of vulnerability and excitement about something that's happening to her. So the scene ends with a shot of the actual cover of her book, which I said again, she's in her jeans. It's a lot more accessible than her in a cocktail dress. And I couldn't help but notice that the very top corner says of the book, it's an advanced, uncorrected reader's edition of the book. So I'm sure they had to get like an advanced copy or one of the early editions to be able to get the photograph in the episode. I just love that little catch because mine doesn't have that on the corner. And I'm sure nobody else's did who bought them in the stores. So then we cut back to Jill and Bobby. They're getting ready to go out to Zarin Fabrics. And Bobby says he has a surprise for her. And of course, Jill just has to ruin it and go, is it jewelry? And Bobby's like, I knew you were going to say, is it jewelry? No, it's not jewelry. And somehow she's managed to make it seem like a letdown that he's bought her a new Mercedes SUV. And then there's Jill. Oh, you're so good to me. Thank you, Bobby. I love you. And in Jill's confessional, she explains that they had to consolidate in order to get this. So they got rid of the van and her other car and they got this. It's a beautiful black Mercedes SUV. But of course, as they get in, she tosses the bow into the back seat and begins to find something to complain about. Apparently, it doesn't work with her iPhone. And as she's standing there, she looks at Bobby, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. And Bobby says, I knew you'd find something about it, which it's like, of course she would. Remember the scenes with her mom early on? I mean, this is learned behavior. So, of course, Bobby's suggestion is, look, I'll just get you a different car. I'll use this one. You can have a different one. Oh, my God. But the scene ends with Jill trying to figure out how to drive this new car. She's like, this is very different. I hope I don't kill anybody. (laughs) And the scene ends. 
And then we hear the British royalty music, so we know we are about to get some Alex and Simon. So Alex is in a car. She's telling Simon, okay, I'm calling you as you're directed. Simon is standing somewhere on a sidewalk with flowers, and he explains that it's her birthday. This is the 10th birthday that he's shared with her, and he loves to surprise her for these, but every year it gets more and more difficult. And so she shows up and he's got the flowers and they're about to get in and she gives him a big hug. And oh, Simon, it's just ugh, gag me. So she doesn't know where they're going, but it ends up they're going to Ray Griffiths. He's a jewelry designer. As Simon explains, he's also an expat Australian and he's got some jewelry laid out. And what she picks are the earrings. I've mentioned these several times before. There are these emerald drop earrings. It's got some square, looks like cushion cut, maybe emerald drop earrings. They're very, very beautiful. And of course, we get a price flash. It says Emerald Drop Earrings, $6,300. And as I always say, at least she wears this stuff because we see her wear these in previous episodes. Clearly, they've shot it out of sequence. And we see her wear them in seasons to come. So good on her. And I like this moment because he says something funny where he points to one earring and says, this was our left couch sofa and points to the other earring and say that would have paid for the right side couch coast sofa. And Alex makes a joke. Did you cancel the sofas? And I just like that because I felt like they weren't being the pretentious idiots that they always try to behave like. So they pick out the beautiful earrings and he says, next stop on our surprise, which ends up being that he's just taking her home to have cupcakes with the kids, but he wants to fake her out. So the driver is apparently not supposed to take the turn that would tip her off to the fact that they're going home. But unfortunately, the driver takes the wrong turn, or I should say the right turn, and Simon literally freaks out. And may I remind you, when they were up with the jeweler, there definitely was champagne, so you know he's been drinking. And Simon goes on this tirade to the poor driver, where he says, we're ruining the fucking surprise. Jesus fucking Christ, your surprise is being fucking ruined. And he's literally losing his mind. And I feel so horrible for Alex in this moment. She is sitting there. She is so uncomfortable. It looks like she's almost breaking out in hives. You know, she says she does that when she gets uncomfortable. She's got this horrid look on her face. She doesn't know what to say. He's acting like a fucking abusive asshole. And he's going on and on saying, you're ruining the night. It's like, no, Simon, actually, you're ruining the night. And it's just so sad to see. I really, I've seen this behavior before. I know it very intimately. I feel like he's a drunk and an angry one at that and goes on rampages and gets out of control. I just felt horrible for Alex in this moment. And then he kind of does the thing where you put your hand over your face like you're changing persons and he goes, pop goes the weasel. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be back and just kind of acts like he's going to try to make it better. But he goes on and on, just on and on about the whole thing. Oh, he was supposed to take you here. And he's the one that ruins the night. But of course, like a true, I think also a bit of a narcissist, he tells everybody else that they ruined the night. And his, in his confessional, he says, but within five minutes, I was back and acts like it's no big deal. I just felt like total emotional abuser. Just really, this was a problem and you should have just been completely embarrassed by your behavior. But instead, you're going to act like it was justified and it's no big deal. Like, sorry, no. But they get home to see the boys. And Alex explains that she was so excited that, you know, Simon put that into the mix, seeing the kids. And she goes on to say it was just beautiful. There was no mention of him acting like a complete psychopath. And the scene ends with them saying, like, can we do a toast to mummy? But of course, the toast has to be chin chin because they have to act like they're just so international. So chin chin to mommy and the episode ends. Well, that just about does it for this episode. 
But join us next time when we break down Real Housewives of New York City, Season 2, Episode 10, Unfashionably Late. And please check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Deep Fix Podcast. And as always, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and most other places you get your podcasts. Until next time, see y'all then.